Hello, my name is Mark Taylor and welcome to the Education on Fire podcast. The place for creative and inspiring learning from around the world. Listen to teachers, parents and mentors share how they are supporting children to live their best authentic life and are proving to be a guiding light to us all. Hello and welcome back to the Education on Fire podcast. Thank you so much for deciding to spend some time with us here again today. Now, I'm delighted to be joined by Maria Brosnan, and she's an educational leadership and well-being specialist, author, coach, speaker, and host of the podcast, Pursuits of Wellbeing. Now, over a 30-year period, Maria's worked in a variety of wellbeing capacities, from counselling end-stage cancer patients to whole school wellbeing training. She created Pursuits Wellbeing as a platform to offer information, inspiration, and support to promote the wellbeing of teachers, leaders, and all school staff. Now, during this episode, Maria very kindly offers you the opportunity of having a free pass to her instant calm session. Now, if you go to educationonfire.com forward slash 207, that'll take you straight through to the show notes where this link will be readily available for you. Now, just before this wonderful conversation with Maria, here's a quick thank you to our sponsor. Thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Hello, Maria. Thank you so much for joining me on the Education on Fire podcast. And it's an absolute delight to speak to a fellow podcaster in this wonderful community that we have. It's a pleasure, Mark. Thank you for having me. And isn't it fun? We can just talk all day long. We can. It's, it's, it's almost like this is, you know, I could spend my entire world in my little studio here and just have one person in one part of the world and another person in another part of the world and just the conversations and the connection. It's just yeah. really, really fascinating. And it, it just blows my mind how, how that's just been such a positive impact on, on just being a podcaster, which, as we know, only a few years ago wasn't even something you could do. I know. It's, it's such a pleasure. And thank you for having me. Lovely to be here. So let's start about exactly what is the thing that you do. I mean, in terms of the podcast, how does that fit in terms of your courses and your sort of practice generally? How did the whole thing sort of come together and, and give it the focus that it has now? Yeah. Well, I started Pursuit Wellbeing, which is a, a platform for teachers and school leaders about three years ago, but it really came into its own. And I, I would typically go out and do training in schools which I had been doing for years and years, but it's really just morphed into training for, for school leaders and teachers. But really when when COVID hit last year and and as a consultant, I was not able to go into schools and there was, you know, schools were in crisis, it just forced me to change the way I approach things and forced me to create an online course where people could access it in their own time at their own convenience. And that was... The kind of the genesis of pursuit as it as it currently stands now, and I decided to start a podcast. It's something that I love. I've always loved listening to them. That I'm, I was a very early adopter when they came out and listened to them a lot. And I thought, God, that'd be fun. So I did a course a couple of years ago and learned the the kind of art and science of it. And then again, it just wasn't the right time when when COVID. And, and everybody it was just a difficult time and so it came to summer though and there was a group of us and we formed something called the educational well-being collective and we were all consultants working with schools in various different ways with pupil behavior with staff um, well-being with all, all different aspects of what makes up well-being in the school and there's 
I don't know, 30 or 40 of us and we used to meet every week and talk about what we were doing and how we could support each other and how we could support uh, people working in schools. And I just thought, gosh, this is such a rich collection of people with such vast knowledge. Now's the time to start the podcast. And so I just one by one started talking with those people who have such a depth of skill and knowledge and how to support people working in schools to, to make their lives easier. Amazing. And how did you, how did the consultancy go before? Was it just, let's say, how long were you doing that just in your, your own way going in and out of schools before you sort of decided to sort of give it this kind of shop window and, and the website and all the things that we spoke about from before? Yeah. Well, I've been working in wellbeing for about 30 years and I trained as a counsellor and it goes way back because I was really sick um, about 30 years ago and I healed myself through in a very holistic way and I met somebody who was a counsellor and uh, and I changed everything about my life um, well not everything but m- many many things I changed my diet I cleaned up everything I was working as a professional musician at the time so keeping very um, you know strange hours going to bed late eating terribly and 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 I got really sick and I had tumours in my system and 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 I was I was advised that I needed surgery and I thought no that just doesn't feel right and so if through a really amazing kind of chain of events I met somebody that could help me and he and he, and he said I think you'll be better in six weeks time and I was like wow and so I did I changed my diet I did all of these different kind of teas and things that he recommended I did different exercise I changed my whole lifestyle as much as I could while still being a professional musician and my husband came on the journey with me. Like we just cleaned out the cupboards and did everything together. We learned how to cook a whole foods, plant-based diet. We just did so much to completely shift our diet and lifestyle. And within six weeks, I was completely better. And I went back to my doctor and they couldn't believe it. And, you know, two years later, I had a child. And, you know, it, what struck me then, and that was um, such a long time ago, that we can do so much to take care of our well-being. And that was a very physical thing, but but the manifestation of that and the ripple effect of that was huge. So that was 30 years ago. And over time, uh, I've, I've done various things, but then I did counsellor training as a result of that and, and then started to work in schools about 15 years ago. And I've worked with private people and schools. So my career is kind of been not the most straightforward path but but having worked in schools for probably 15 years um doing training etc doing different different types of things i've made resources for schools in literacy and sport and well-being for children so it's been quite a long career in education as well but um but mostly leadership and well-being in, in recent in recent time i think for me having people that are involved in education in any shape or form where it comes from a real understanding of life <laughs> in in terms of that sort of impact that it's had and therefore your perspective and your real understanding of what it is that you're trying to support people with is very different than from just having been on a course or deciding this is your career path or whatever um and and it's a really interesting it's a really interesting starting point for everything isn't it and i don't know um if you've listened 
um, to me talk before, I've mentioned about Anita Morjani and how she healed herself from end stage cancer and people like Louise Hay. And I, and I recommend that you go in and sort of listen to some of these people if it's something which um, you've not come across before. <laughs> um, just just an, an entirely different way of thinking if it's something which you, you've not experienced before. Um, but tell me a little bit about how difficult was that or was it because you were in such a situation you were able to almost do it on a sixpence or was there still some kind of difficulty in terms of being able to like say change the lifestyle so drastically mm -hmm. it was the, in in my mind there was just no choice because i i didn't want to have surgery i felt that if i had created this condition in my body that i could heal it as well and i believe that to my core to this day and that's my principle. It's a key principle that we are responsible for our well-being. And that's not to say that we don't get support, of course, or we don't get people to help us. But I really, um, that's one of my core principles. And so for me, it was it was difficult. It was really difficult to do. But as soon as I started to feel better, you know, I stopped sugar um, for well for years and years. I still I eat some sugar now, but at that time. I stopped sugar, I stopped dairy, I stopped meat. It was like a really, really, really clean diet. And the, the benefit of that is within days, I just felt so much better. And so once you get just a little tiny sense of how much better things can be and how much better you can feel, because up until then, I was in pain all the time. I was exhausted. I wasn't sleeping well. But I wasn't, so I wasn't energized during the day. I was gigging, I was lethargic. And so to feel better within a week it is it was was enough motivation to keep me going, that's for sure. So I think there's a very good parallel here. And I'm a professional musician as well. So I, I can completely <laughs> relate. And um, what what instrument did you play or do you play? Yeah, I play keyboards and sing. So I played in rock band. So I think we're in opposite ends of the musical spectrum, but we, you know, we are short skirts for me. <laughs> and I just think that there's something about that. How do I change my environment when you think you can't? I mean, like you say, you can completely change your world and do something very different. But I think in schools um, and also home life, to some extent, sometimes you just think everything is so ingrained that it has to look a certain way. So when you go into schools and you support teachers in, in, in from a well-being standpoint, what are some of the key things that you, you try and get across? And, and, and is that about kind of changing the environment or, or how they feel like their life can be different, despite the fact it seems a little bit like a treadmill of getting up early and, and late nights and lots of work and trying to fit a million things in, which you're sort of constantly sort of trying to keep your head above water. So what what are your experiences with those things? Well, I would say I, I've developed five key principles that I built my work on because it's what I built my life on. And I think that often in life, change comes because of a crisis. And we, we're, we're creatures of habit. We don't like to change, but often life will give us the little push that we might need. And so the, the principles that I've developed uh, so here they are. So number one is our everyday choices matter. And so eating an apple rather than reaching for chocolate or taking a walk rather than scrolling on your phone. So small actions lead to significant improvements quickly. And I'm not saying don't ever eat chocolate. And I'm not saying don't ever go on your phone. But I'm just saying that if you say, okay, 
I'm, I'm feeling exhausted. I'm feeling like my head is kind of bursting from a busy day. Just going for a walk, just 10 minutes of fresh air will do more for you than scrolling on your phone or eating a chocolate bar. So our small everyday choices matter matter and and making those little micro choices lead to big improvements over time so that's number one number two well-being requires action and so your well-being uh, requires ongoing effort and attention and i think that setting the bar low like not saying okay i'm going to run the next marathon i'd say no i'm going to run for five minutes set the bar so low that you get that oh you know, that little buzz of, of momentum going. So set the bar low and then you build positive momentum. So number three is, and this is the one that I find most contentious, Mark, and I don't know why, but this kind of triggers people more than most. And and that is that your well-being is your responsibility. Nobody knows, nobody else knows how you're feeling or nobody can take the action that you need to take to help you feel better. So the more you own your well-being, and the more you feel that with compassion and kindness for yourself, the better you'll feel. And, and it's interesting, I was, at, I was doing some training a couple of months ago and one of the teachers said, I just don't agree with you. It's, it's My well-being isn't my responsibility, it's the school's responsibility. I feel completely fine when I'm at home and I feel terrible when I'm here. So how could you say that it's my responsibility? And I was slightly dumbstruck for a minute, but... I said, it's still up to you, right? You bring yourself to school. You make the weather, right? You affect other people and they affect you. Um, what can you do to make this better? How can you, how can you in, in, improve this? And, and she wouldn't hear it. So that's an interesting one. I'm curious to hear your thoughts on that, Mark. Do you think your well-being is your responsibility? I think ultimately um, it has to be because no one else is going to do anything for you. I mean, I think almost everything in your life is your responsibility. If you want it to be different, you can, like you said, you can get all the support that you need if, if you need extra help. But like you say, the person who makes that decision to eat an apple rather than a piece of chocolate is you. Um, and like I say, the person that actually decides that you want to show up at work a different way is you. Um, and, and I think also you can see that further down the track as well, because if you want your environment to be different because you feel like in that example, you want your school to be different to help your well-being, then it has to come from you to show what that looks like to help the other people around you. But that still comes from you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I love it. it's it's not to say that it's your responsibility all by yourself. Absolutely not. Be connected with other people and do things together and get support. But um, but ultimately, that's my belief there. Anyway, um, number four, well-being is a journey. And nurturing it means taking steps in the direction that you want to go. And we've always got a choice. So just choosing. Uh, and pro progress is easier when you acknowledge where you are, where you want to be, and what might need to change to help you on that journey and the last one is that your well-being affects others uh, like I said we all make the weather especially at school we can't say that the school culture exists outside of me I'm part of it and it's part of me and we all have you know the the neurobiology we have mirror neurons so we are so hardwired to um, to just get a sense of how somebody is. Have you ever had that experience where your partner, your wife, your kids come in through the front door and you can hear, by the way, they close the door, what mood they're in, or you just see them and they don't need to say a word and you know exactly 
what kind of a day they've had. We are hardwired to be in in connection with other people. And so taking responsibility for ourselves has a ripple effect and it um, comes in and it goes out. So they're my five principles of well-being. I love that. I love that. There, there, are, there are a couple of things that really strike me. One is you're right about the connectivity and it works in a positive and a negative way, doesn't it? Because even though you might feel like you want to be a certain way, you also kind of want to fit in. And so if the culture is generally negative or the way you fit in is the fact that in the staff room with these types of people, the conversations about what's just gone wrong or this person or that person or whatever, there's there's what feels like a positive connection, I guess, in the same way as the positive eating a bar of chocolate can give you a positive feeling, but you know that it's not something which is supporting you or actually helping you. And I think I think you're right about that culture idea is the fact that it's difficult to begin with to actually make that one that one change. And I'd be interested, what are your thoughts on on being that person that makes that decision to to not engage in in that conversation or to be part of it because i think i think in some ways it's easier to decide to go for that i'm going to go for a five or ten minute walk rather than not it's harder to say i'm not going to get involved in these conversations anymore because that really changes your whole dynamic with with the you know what is an integral part of your day yeah it's difficult and it starts with a choice doesn't it that that's not who you are anymore and it's funny how quickly that falls away. I, I did years and years and years ago, I did a challenge, a no complaining challenge. And it was so interesting that the scenarios just stopped showing up where it was even possible to complain. So I think these things start with us. So if I make a little commitment to myself, I'm not going to gossip anymore or I'm not going to complain anymore. That's not to say that I'm not going to offer constructive input or is it possible that we try something different at school, but I'm not just going to sit with my buddies and moan about it. I'm not going to complain about it. So I think that's the starting point. Make the decision. How, how do you want things to be different in your life, but in your in your school, in the in the culture that you work within? And I think you're right about that. At the heart of it, it's why you're doing anything, isn't it? And if you can do it from a place of love if if not for a better word it's that kind of you know i'm choosing to have the apple rather than the chocolate because i know this is going to nurture me and nourish me in a way that i'd like that to be because that's going to be positive that's fantastic and i think also by the same token if you want a piece of chocolate and you've been eating really healthily and you feel like you're on this path which is heading you in the right direction and you have that one piece of chocolate from a sense of actually I've decided this is something I want to do and it's okay I think that has a very different implication than the do you know what I've had a terrible day and I'm now going to have this piece of chocolate because I feel like I just need to and there's a really important distinction there somewhere which I'm probably not very good at articulating but I'm, I'm sure you'll have an idea about it I completely agree and it comes down to intention doesn't it and if it's your intention to have a treat to be, especially if it's in a social situation, you know, you're having some dessert after dinner or something like that. That's a very different thing than feeling like I've had a terrible day and therefore I'm just going to numb myself out from that experience by eating 
a ton of ice cream or chocolate or whatever or, or alcohol and and it, that you know where we're getting into a different territory here where we're talking about coping mechanisms and so there's no judgment whatsoever if somebody is doing that because life is feeling really hard we have we can have healthy coping mechanisms positive coping mechanisms or unhealthy unhelpful ones and just knowing though if you are doing that there's going to be consequences and there'll be consequences for your health and so what i gently really invite people listening to this to just consider if you do have unhealthy coping mechanisms like like i just described overeating over drinking you know shopping gambling whatever they are because it helps you just feel a bit better or feel a bit less then that awareness and just having that tiniest bit of care and compassion for yourself to say okay i'm going to make a better choice now i'm going to just just in this moment make a different choice for my well-being because as you say i love that because i love myself enough to do it and that's not even an easy thing to say sometimes but that would i would invite people to to think in that way yeah and i th- and i think the second thing that really struck me is the fact of of how connected all those five things are because like you just said you know the the journey aspect of it you know the first part of the journey might be like you say even to put your trainers on because you want to go for a walk rather than deciding not to um it, it might be that you know you you've eaten something which you know you did because you were trying to take the edge off but the fact that you've acknowledged it is already changing the perception of what you want to do so that the next time you can make that different choice um and and i think understanding the the and also the idea of the very small steps just to be able to do that because as soon as that all starts to come under almost sort of one umbrella of how you're being then all of a sudden it's going to be very different isn't it and you're right and i don't know what we can do to kind of make people to make those changes but like say before you absolutely feel like you have to um but whatever that message is is obviously going to be incredibly important for so many people. Yeah, for sure, for sure. My my tiny bit of advice would be don't wait for crisis to make a change. And what happens when you go into schools? I I, I just thinking back to what that the, the the teacher that said about the environment. When you go in, I I assume there's a certain number of people that wanted you to be there because they've invited you to come in. And I guess there are some people who are there because this is the CPD for this particular time of the year or whatever it is they want to do. And do you see a sort of a a difference, um, I guess, however long you're there in in the atmosphere and people's understanding? and, and, And how much difference do you think it makes from that one person deciding this is how it's going to work for this CPD compared to the the outcome that it has for so many. Yeah, it's interesting because all, all of my work is online now and you can definitely see the the people there that are just thoroughly sick of hearing about well-being and I don't blame you, you know. It's <laughs> just become the most tedious, overused word in the world and but and it's a great big huge but um what has happened over the last year has impacted us all on such a deep level that it's shifted our baseline of our well-being and by that i mean even if you kind of a helpful visual might be of a number line just of a mathematical number line so if if your normal level of health and well-being is say zero that's your normal baseline 
over this past year, most people have taken a few little steps to the left where we're just used to feeling exhausted. We're just used to feeling a bit anxious or a bit uneasy or a bit worried or or whatever. But that then just becomes normal, right? Okay, well, I just feel exhausted all the time or I just feel anxious all the time. So what I try to do in my work is help people understand what's happening in their biology, in their body, in their physiology, what's going on, their nervous system, that you can bring that back to zero and then into positive numbers again, where you can feel good and you can feel vitality and positivity and optimism and hope and um, all of the really renewing and revitalizing emotions that we feel rather than the draining ones of, of worry and anxiety and, and those ones. So so there's a real mix of people that come to those training, many because they're required to or, in you know, the school puts it on and they come along. But quite quickly, what I always do at the beginning of a session, and I'll, and I'll do this now for the listeners and for you, Mark, is to ask people on a scale of 1 to 10, where 10 is the best you've ever felt and 1 is the worst you've ever felt, how are you feeling right now? And feel free to answer that, Mark, if you want to. But I'd go for an eight. Yeah, good. Well, I do something called Instant Calm, and they're live wellbeing coaching sessions every Thursday afternoon. And so I ask this, and listeners, please find our website and join up. They're, they're really lovely. But I ask people that at the beginning of the session, and the average score from my live sessions is 4.5 out of mm-hmm. 10 which is pretty striking, isn't it? But at the end of these sessions, and the the instant calm sessions are short, 15-minute live sessions, um, the end score is 9 out of 10. And so I say, look what we've done. We've we've shifted your self-reported well-being from 4.5 to 9 in 15 minutes. And I think that gets people's attention. When we can do very simple, I explain simple things that are happening in your nervous system. I explain different ways that we can regulate ourselves and feel better so quickly. And then people start to say, okay, I get it. I get it. And when you feel it, like I said, when I was sick, you know, when I started to feel better, that builds momentum. And that's what we build on. Yeah. So it's actually knowing the change, but then like say feeling and experiencing it. And and like you say, when you're on that positive track, then it's much easier to keep going because that's what you wanted all the time, isn't it? So all those negative things you were doing because you thought you couldn't do anything about it. The opposite is true as well. Yeah, exactly. And I think the more we can treat ourselves with care and compassion and kindness then that goes back to then that affects others as well. But starting starting with ourselves, you know, you you can't pour from an empty cup and all of those the things that are cliches, but they're true. And we really, really do now more than ever need to take care of ourselves. And get the basics right too, like get enough sleep and drink enough water and eat well. All of those things will help us feel better and give us more energy for life. Yeah, and 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 I and I, lo- I love the idea of the small things. One of the things I did um, in recent times was just to go to bed with a full glass of water. So the first thing I did was to actually drink a glass of water, which just changes your whole intake of of fluid as well. And um, and the other thing that always strikes me is I can't remember who it was now, but it's kind of like a graduation speech, and I think it was from someone in the military. And their advice was always make your bed. 
because yeah. you've achieved something right at the beginning of the day and the benefit of that takes you through the day and also when you come back to the end of the day you have this wonderful place that you've given some attention to at the beginning of the day and it's tiny but it makes a massive difference and I think when you replicate that over various things in your life it like I say it's just transformational it is it is and and I actually wrote a very short little book last year called the pursuit of sleep because I was so many people I was working with were really struggling to sleep and so I wrote a book and there's 95 tips and that's one of them actually make your bed because it does give you that little boost and that little um, encouragement but also it gives you a really nice bed to get into when you're tired at the end of the day absolutely when you really need it and it's there for you yeah <laughs> oh fantastic so tell us a little bit about your school experience because it, and, and I always find this interesting especially with people who then go into schools later and, and sort of work in the educational field but is there something that was valuable about your school experience and, and was there a teacher that you remember and, and why was that yeah, I I went I grew up in Melbourne, Australia and went to a convent school there. And I was a very shy kid and didn't I, I, I liked school, it was fine, but um but as I was getting towards kind of year ten, something like that, I was completely obsessed with music. And since I was a child I played piano, I played um by ear from the time I was about three, I could hear things and play them. And my older sister learned piano and went through the kind of formal training. And and she got really cross with me for being able to hear whatever she was playing, I could play it. And so there became a family rule where I wasn't allowed to play any of her pieces or any of her scales because it was driving her nuts. <laughs> and so I would escape from sport. I couldn't stand sport or PE at school. So I would always make an excuse that I had a music lesson and I'd just go to the music room and play and play and play. And so it kind of, my the most valuable part of that for me, I think, was learning to be probably a little bit naughty, I guess, but <laughs> figuring out how to get my needs met. Like I really had an urgent desire. Like it was something that I couldn't not do was to play. And so um so I was able to do that which is kind of a weird weird story for not being able to make music at home but um but that was the way it was with the older sister the way she was and for that reason my favorite teacher was Mrs Falvey my flute teacher because I I just realized that I love playing piano by ear but I did want to learn music and so I learned the flute and did that to about grade eight or something quite quickly I did that in just a couple of years and um, and I always thought about music education for up until even the last two or three years, I thought music education was terrible for forcing young people to learn three or four pieces and scales and exercises and having such a rigid curriculum. But what it actually, it, I don't know why it took me so long to, to, it occurred to me that what that's actually training you for is performance that you can perform to a high standard every single time you go on stage. And I was like, oh, right, now I get it. Because <laughs> I think I always you think it sucked the joy out of music, but but it actually did train you to be able to perform. Yeah, and it, and it really does give you, like I say, it's, it's one element, isn't it? It does a fantastic thing for that particular purpose, but then doesn't support you as the as the child wanting to learn by ear and just do their own thing. And I, I think it's it's understanding that we're all different. And like you say, 
get the support where you need, whether it's formal, whether it's informal, whether it's just a place you can go to play. Like if you've got the gift that you obviously have to be able to do it by ear, which I really wish I did, but um, isn't something that I'm blessed with, um, to be able to sort of do that, then it's going to nourish you and nurture you in a way that's going to be you know, really supportive. And I think that's the thing as teachers and people in, within education is you don't know what that is until you have those conversations or you set those environments for people to do it and then you can walk on that journey with them. Yeah, and I really thought that my music teachers could see that in me and just allowed me to use the music room knowing that I probably shouldn't have been there, but she turned a little bit of a blind eye because she knew how much it meant to me. And Perfect. Yeah, really, really nice. And, and I think that's it. It's it's that seeing, isn't it? It's that connection is so important. Yeah. Um, what was the best piece of advice you've ever been given and who gave it to you? And and a follow-on from that is what advice would you then give your younger self? If, uh, and, and I was kind of caveat this with the fact that I'm not sure when I was young if I'd been given the advice, I'd take it on board, but I still think it's important that people hear it. Yeah. <laughs> uh, my question is, my younger self, does that mean yesterday or does that mean when I was five years old? Well, that's, that, it's, it's a fantastic question. And, and I guess the I guess the answer to that is it could be any of them, <laughs> any of them really. I, I kind of always sort of think that kind of, I guess, sort of teenage years before you before you're an adult and you, you have to take responsibility anyway. And while when you're old enough not to just do what you're told because that's kind of what people do but you're absolutely right i'm not sure i would have i would have done yesterday what i might do today given that so it's a really great i love that it's fantastic <laughs> well the answer would probably be the same whether it's for yesterday or when i was five or 15 and i think it would just be just go with the flow don't push so hard don't feel that um it, it doesn't need to be difficult so just to relax a little bit and because I think I'm I am a relaxed person I am a calm person but there is a, a part of me that there's an intensity as well and I and I study a lot and I read a lot and I you know I work hard and so so I think that the the piece of advice would be just just chill out a little bit. It's all right. <laughs> just a bit of reassurance. And the best piece of advice I've ever been given is probably a pretty controversial one, but it was from the man that helped me. His name was Jenny Waxman when I was sick. And when I was, I did a lot of training with him and I did my counselor training with him and his organization in America. We lived there for a few years. And, and it's as much a piece of advice as a question, but he asked us, what do you think the most dangerous drug in the world is and so of course we were thinking you know class a um but he said no it's over-the-counter pain medication because that takes us away from ourselves so say we have a headache as a simple example if you just pause for a moment and think why do i have a headache is it because i've been in front of my screen too long is it because i haven't drunk enough water i haven't had enough sleep my shoulders are tight what is it what is it about this headache and what could i do to uh, to deal with this pain and um and that extends into how we take care of ourselves and so that has been really the message of of my life how i've taken care of myself and how i support people in taking care of themselves how do you ground yourself in a connection with yourself and with your body and with your health and your well-being um by by continually making that connection and not not 
getting away from that connection with over-the-counter pain medication or food or alcohol. And I'm not to say any of those things are bad. I'm just saying if we disconnect from ourselves, then we lose something very important. Yeah, I think that's really true. And and I think there are a couple of things I've I've certainly learned over the years. One is the fact that when you most need it and you're less likely to do it, you must do it. And by that, I mean, I haven't got time to cut the grass today, even though it needs doing because I've got so much going on. And I know that's the time I need to change the schedule, cut the grass, get outside, enjoy the nature, take a bit of time, and then you feel so much better and energized and then everything else takes care of itself. So that's usually a real telltale thing. Whatever it is that you love doing or you want to do that nurtures you, have it as something you can just step out of where you are because that usually makes a massive difference. And the other thing is, which I really liked, is that is you said actually it was more of a question because I think that's something which is really, really important. And especially when we're talking to to younger people is rather than saying it should be like this or how about this or how about that, actually just posing a question, not expecting an answer back, but just let it seep in and let that kind of thought process work as well, because they're so powerful questions, aren't they? So I thought that was a great piece of advice there from just 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 posing a question, let alone actually getting to an answer as well. It's brilliant. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And what podcast book video film song or any resource has had the biggest impact on your life and, and why was that mm. I would say books in general and if our listeners could see me I've got a huge library of books <laughs> sitting right behind me now I can definitely vouch for that yeah <laughs> and so I'd say books in general and I think the reason for that is because I left school when I was quite young quite possibly because I was I, I wasn't a naughty kid but I think I just I just lost some I stopped understanding what people were saying and so I left school when I was quite young and I didn't get a degree and I felt quite a lot of shame around that I think for years and years feeling like you know I've I haven't reached my full potential perhaps but ever since I left school really and especially from my early 20s I've been a voracious reader and so I feel like I've educated myself and I have done other training and courses etc over that time but I but I think that's what started it for me is self-education and you know the classic lifelong learning but it's certainly been my journey and my favorite book is one called The Untethered Soul and I heard about it maybe five years ago maybe a little bit more <clears throat> pardon me um Oprah Winfrey said that it was her favourite book and it was always on her nightstand. And I thought, well, if it's good enough for Oprah, at least I'll have a look give at it. Give it a go. <laughs> I'll give it a go. And it's fascinating. It's a very spirit, it's a it's a spiritual book in that it, the first chapter says, are you aware of that voice in your head that never shuts up, that never stops, never gives you a minute's rest? Do you want to know what it is? Do you want to know where it's come from? Do you want to know what it's doing? Do you want to figure out how to get some relief from that? And I was like, holy cow, yes, I do. <laughs> and so I've read that book from cover to cover so many times and still dip into it and get a huge amount of comfort and interest and guidance from it. So, yeah, The Untethered Soul by Michael Singer. 
Fantastic. I, I love that. And I would I would wholeheartedly recommend anything which gives you the understanding that your mind and what you hear in your head is different to who you are. And 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 and, and like you say, any understanding of that will just revolutionize your life. So yeah, thank you for that. Well, we're gonna have links of all these things on the show notes for anybody who uh, who hasn't managed to just sort of jot all that down. So the reason I love the podcast is it's fantastic to have these conversations, but also the fact that we are able to not just learn from the conversation, but there's something we can do beyond that. So I love the the idea of you said of your 15 minute sessions and all of that. And um, so tell everyone where they can go to find out those things and your website and, and just sort of delve even more into the work that you're doing. Lovely. Thank you. Well, the website is pursuit-wellbeing.com. And my sessions on Thursday afternoons are called Instant Calm. And they're 15 minutes. It's a live session with me. And they're really reasonably priced. I think I was, um, it's £99 for the whole year and you can come to 36 sessions. And I'll even throw in my online course for that. Um, And they're just so valuable. People just are finding them so valuable. So please do, if you'd like to try one for free, get a free pass and I'm not sure will I'll send it share a link with that with you Mark so people can get a free pass so they can come along to a little 15 minute instant calm well-being coaching session with me it's a group coaching session I should add that's not clear fantastic well Maria thank you so much for sharing all those insights and and all of that wisdom and it's definitely given literally me food for thought and I'm sure many people listening so yeah thank you so much it's a pleasure thank you so much for having me Mark thank you everybody Thank you to the National Association for Primary Education for their long-term support of the Education on Fire podcast. To get a free e-copy of their professional journal, Primary First, please go to nape.org.uk forward slash journal. That's nape.org.uk forward slash journal. Thanks for listening to the Education on Fire podcast. For more information of each episode and to get in touch, go to educationonfire.com. Education is not the filling of a pail, but the lighting of a fire.